What's up, Longhorn fans? Welcome to another edition of Trey Chats. I am Trey Elling, joined as always by one Brian Jones. By the way, coming up after my interview with BJ, it is Eric Nalene of Inside Texas. Going to get his thoughts on Steve Sarkeesian and the difficulty of balancing head coach and play caller duties on offense. Seems to have plagued uh, the last few Texas coaches now, and Sark having his issues as well. First, though, it is uh, my good friend from CBS. He is the lead studio analyst for their college football coverage there, Brian Jones. Lifetime Longhorn, wore the number 60 at one point as a linebacker here, and joins me each week to talk about the highs and lows of Texas Longhorn (laughs) football. What's up, BJ? How you doing this week? A lot of lows, man. I'm doing great up here in cold New York. Uh, winter is is, is uh, entering the the picture here, unfortunately. So I'm glad the season is starting to wind down, so I can get out of here and just hang out by the pool in South Florida. That's right. You live in New York. I lived in Chicago for a while. If you can snowbird it and escape someplace to the south, whether it's Florida, Texas, Arizona, there are plenty of options. You do that. (laughs) Uh, But uh, unfortunately, it's a bit of a frustrating week for Longhorn fans because Saturday's game against TCU was one of the best performances in a long time for this Texas defense. Unfortunately, it was completely squandered by an inept offense that once again saw Quinn Ewers struggle to get on the same page with his receivers. Bijan Robinson really unable to get anything going, nor was Roshan Johnson, and the play calling seemed suspect at times as well. Dude, uh, we saw some improvement in that Texas offense. I beg to differ with you. Really? They improved upon not doing a damn thing in the second (laughs) half and not doing a damn thing now in the first half. Usually they would do something in the first half. Nothing. Uh, It's just unbelievable watching the film. I understand this is a young offensive line, but gosh, uh, there's got to be some improvement there as well. You're in the ninth, tenth game of the season, and yet – same things occur. You're not firing off the ball. You're playing too high. And I give a lot of credit to TCU because I didn't expect that from their defense. The defense that came in uh, giving up, what, 27, 28 points a game, and they hold Texas to three points. Big ups to, to them and, and their defense because they balled out. And this whole narrative about Texas having the, the better athletes, bull dookie. Uh, they might, uh, but TCU may have a bunch of – two and three stars, but they produce like some four and five stars, man. Uh, so I give them credit. But but Texas keeps getting in its its own way. Why do you give up on the run? TCU didn't give up on the run. They kept running Miller, kept running. Of course, he broke one. And when you break down that play, simple play, man, just a little fold block. And you, you, you go inside with that if you're the backer but there's a big old hole. You have to be able to come back and play the cutback. And number three, Diamante, whatever his damn name is, did not, he's just bouncing, 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 can't find the ball. There's nothing in there. I got to be a football player. He read his key, fine. I'm reading through that guard. He fold blocks over here. I step over there. It's not a fast flow play. You have to be able to come back. You got 18 rushing outside, as he always does. And and he, he doesn't. He's playing it as though it's a pass play. So there's a huge hole there. And Miller found it. And then he just outran the entire defense. So that play, the miscommunication between, you know, the corner and and, and Cook on the touchdown pass to Quentin Johnson, that can't happen. 
but it did. And I've been out there, man, where you, you didn't communicate well. You thought you communicated, but you didn't, and you give up a big touchdown. Still haunted by one. Colorado's tight end made on us. I was clear. I thought I called a banjo. Didn't get to our outside backer. Next thing you know, he's running free for a touchdown. So those things occur. But to your point, Trey, 17 points. You give up 17 points to a team that's averaging 47 points. And your offense brings nothing. Not a damn thing. And your head coach made his name on offense. So that's an indictment on him and that offensive staff. Because if that's your calling card and your offense can only muster three points against a team that's given up 27 points, hell, everybody scored on them. And yet you can't on your home field. It's embarrassing. It's asinine. It should not occur. And it was a huge moment that just lost, lost. Uh, and, and there's no other way to put it. And I'm sure there's a lot of despair over there, as there should be, because you're in control of your own destiny and you give it up there in the blink of three hours and you know just watching it on the on the television it seems as though it was a great crowd and they were into this thing and it was loud you got 104,000 people in that stadium and they do nothing on the offensive side of the ball the drops you what the hell is up with this yours kid now I mean he he improved he went from 46 percent completion to 45 percent completion I mean, the dude is kept, is, keeps going down, down, down. What is going on with this offense? Either he's overthrowing or they're dropping the ball, can't block. Bijan can't find any daylight. And then you give up on the run, 12 carries for this. What is their identity? They have no identity. Zero. Zilch identity on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and like six total carries between Bijan and Roshan in the second half on Saturday. Steve Sarkeesian said in his Monday presser that he felt like the team was better off trying to move the football through the air, and he's entitled to his opinion, but you're absolutely right. And Saturday was the first time that I've had a chance to watch the passing offense for Texas in person over the last month because Quinn Ewers has obviously struggled more often than not over the last four games now. You can maybe say the Kansas State game was the exception, but that was child's play for him based on how good Bijan Robinson was. Yep. It is clear that the receivers, when they're turning around for the football, have no idea where it's going to be, and how hard it's going to be thrown. There were a couple of balls that theoretically weren't that bad, but yeah. TCU's defensive backs are so good at closing on the football yeah. that these balls that are floating out there like balloons get batted away. And then you have examples like the Jordan Whittington slant route in the end zone where Ewers just puts a 100-mile-per-hour fastball in there, and Whittington didn't have a chance. I mean, that, that ball is going past his face pretty much as soon as he's turning to look at the football. So... Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. There are a couple of common denominators here, BJ. One is obviously Steve Sarkeesian calling the plays, but I don't think that's as big of an issue as other people do. The other common denominator is Quinn Ewers. And myself and a lot of other Texas fans were wondering if we were going to see a change at quarterback 
coming out of the second half on Saturday, but we did not. And Steve Sarkeesian doesn't even seem to want to consider that possibility right now. For you as somebody who has obviously played and watched as much football as you have, would you have replaced him at some point against TCU? And if not, are you considering giving Hudson Card some more snaps against Kansas this weekend? Yes, to your, your last question. Yes, I'm considering that. But you also have to understand the dynamic at play here. That's his guy. That's who he wanted. So he's going to stick with that guy, as you and I would probably. We're going to give that person we brought in and we endorse wholeheartedly as much rope as possible. Uh, and, and so he's on a very long leash. Got to understand that. Uh, would I have considered it? Yeah, I would have. And to your point, what game are you watching? The passing game gave us gives us a better opportunity. What was the score at halftime? Was it uh, seven three? Three. Or, it was three nothing. Yeah. What do you, dude? I just watched the king of college football with one of the best quarterbacks, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, go to old man football in the second half versus Ole Miss last week and pounded it and ran down their throat. I just watched that. So I don't know what game coach was watching, but this football stuff is not rocket science. And when you get in an affair such as that one, you need to own the line of scrimmage. And whether you're getting an inch or less than an inch early on, you have to keep pounding the rock, especially with a guy like Bijan. He's eventually going to break one such as Kendra Miller. So you keep pounding that rock, man. And I just don't get why we continue to go away from the run. It seems like every game. And Texas loves running, right? And that's fine if it works for you, but when it's not working, you need to make that adjustment. And by the way, sometimes the adjustment isn't handing it off to him at all. It's finding other creative ways to get him the football. Kansas and he was State. wide open on the, was, on, the, on the wheel route. That wheel route was yeah. the biggest mistake of the game for that Texas offense because that would have been you is that with no track. pressure. He had, he had predetermined where he was going. He had predetermined he was going to go to Sanders across the middle. And I would maybe buy the he made the right read excuse if he was looking right, but he looked left and he threw left there. And by the way, that play has scored multiple touchdowns for this Longhorn offense this year. Yep. He's just not seeing the field all that well. Right. And when he does see open throws, he is entirely too erratic. And I know he mentioned in his Monday session with the media that he needs to do a better job of setting your feet. Okay, that's been evident for a month now, and it's still not happening. So at some point, you really need to make that adjustment, or we maybe need to see Hudson Card in a few more series. Because by the way, as much as everybody wanted to call that guy a game manager, which he certainly was against Alabama, thrust into duty like that, he was a guy who was making plays to help this team win games over the course of the next three games. He can use his legs as well. And that's yeah. an added uh, element that TCU would have to adjust for. So you're correct. Um, I, we, we've been talking ad nauseum about you know, second halves and what needs to be done. And obviously it can't be fixed or it would have been fixed by now. No. Uh, there's certain things that occur and you have the coaches that go and, and, and get you right and coach you up and you fix that problem and something else may crop up. Then you go fix that problem. But 
they haven't fixed it. They the defense looked great, outstanding. Need to continue to bring that energy. And I thought they would bring that type as we discussed last week. And offensively, if that's your calling card, that's your baby. And I don't think it has to do anything to do with him calling plays, not whatsoever. Uh, the problem is the plays that are being called and the decisions that are being made in certain situations. There's plenty of coaches that call plays and can still be the CEO of, of, a, of a program. Uh, it's just what's being called and, and what's being taught and what's being coached and what has not been corrected. Looking at some of the other games this weekend, BJ, it's a little bit of a down week for college football. The best games, honestly, are in the Pac-12. We'll get to those shortly, but the game that you guys are broadcasting at 2.30 Central Time on Saturday is number one, Georgia. Really seems like they're hitting their stride at the right time. They are at Kentucky this weekend. Kentucky has been ranked for a good chunk of the season, not ranked right now at 6-4, and 3-4 and four in the SEC. Can Kentucky uh, pull off a pretty big upset considering the dogs are uh, slightly more than three touchdown favorites? I'm going to say they can't. I think they have played much better than their dismal performance last week uh, versus Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt lost, what, 24, 26 straight SEC matchups. Uh, so I think... They, I, I, I believe at home, and there'll be a lot larger crowd on hand for this one than there was for last week's 11 o'clock kickoff or noon kickoff, whatever it was. And I, I, I believe they'll perform much better, but they don't have what it's going to take. You know, Will Levis is getting all this hype about being the best quarterback heading into next year's draft. I don't know what film they're watching. I'm, I'm not dogging him. I'm just saying there's some other guys out there that are – better in my estimation, but he's going to have an opportunity to announce himself and prove uh, that he's worthy of that hype versus this defense. And now that Jalen Carter, 88, is healthy, is taking off the knee brace, they're using them on offense again, as they did in years past. Uh, this guy cannot be blocked. Uh, he's amazing to watch. You're talking about some loose hips and a fluid athlete at 6'5", 6'6". 300 pounds. It's amazing to watch him. He's better than Jordan Davis, his teammate, a season ago who went in the first round. So, no, I don't believe so. And watch this kid, Starks, in that secondary 24, true freshman. This guy is a freak, freak of an athlete and a phenomenal football player. They tackle well in space, and they know their gaps, man. You may get them once or twice, but these guys, they block all exits in the running game. It's, it's, it's so much fun to watch, fundamentally sound football. I'm glad you mentioned that about Levis because, look, he is a good quarterback. But to uh, state as firmly as has been stated all year long that he's a top two or three quarterback prospect for the NFL is a head-scratcher to me. It's like, are these guys being duped by the fact that the, this guy puts mayonnaise in his coffee or something? I, <laughs> right. He's bananas with the pills on him, which I tried. It wasn't too bad, but that mayonnaise in the coffee. Rick Neuheisel tried that. I, I can't go for that, man. Really, the banana peel is not a bad addition to the. Banana it wasn't peel. as it wasn't as terrible as I imagined. No, oh. no. definitely don't recommend uh, eating the avocado with the peel on. And no, no, I, no, 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 no. As I mentioned, the uh, the big games this weekend uh, seem to be in the Pac-12, at least in terms of the ranked matchups. 
going to start in Los Angeles, where we have the rivalry game between USC, UCLA. Had a chance to be a top 10 matchup if UCLA won last week. They did not. However, they are still technically the home team this weekend. Think Lincoln Riley and company get it done, considering how good that offense is, despite the fact that there are some obvious deficiencies for their defense? Man, I was leaning UCLA way. UCLA way. I picked UCLA. And then their quarterback, DTR, had to open his damn mouth. They put 62 on USC a year ago. And he said, yeah, we feel like we can do that again. Just shut up. You're coming off a loss. Be quiet. It's rivalry week. I expect them, UCLA, to get it done and and, and beat them. Uh, Their offense, especially with Charbonnet running back, number one uh, rushing offense in the league, can run on this defense, I believe. Uh, they got a defensive lineman whose name I'm not going to uh, attempt to pronounce uh, there for SC, who's damn good. I believe he leads the nation in sacks. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, I think he c- you can make some hay running the ball. And DTR with his legs is going to be a true dual, dual threat. And defensively, I think UCLA has the better defense. They didn't prove that a week ago, uh, but uh, they can win this ball game. So I'm going to go with the Bruins, even though DTR just – what were these kids? Learn. You don't taunt the alligator till you cross the river. Avoid that bulletin board material. And the other Pac-12 matchup that is a top 12 matchup is number 10 Utah at number 12 Oregon. I got to give you big props because you picked Washington over Oregon last week. I did not think that that was going to happen, but sure enough, it did. Uh, credit the Huskies for fighting till the bitter end there. Uh, can Oregon bounce back? This game is at Autzen, so they have that advantage. But uh, how do you see this one shaking out? They can, and you know, many are, are, are pointing out, uh, my colleagues, that Utah can't pass the ball in the same manner as as Washington did, but Cam Rising can put some pressure on you, and that running game can put some pressure on you. They've rushed for 279, 306 the last couple of games, and they're going to go up against Oregon's strong suit. That pass defense is not, but that being said, Oregon is allowing conversions on third down at almost a 50% clip. So Cam Rising and the run game can can do their thing, and that defense can slow down Bo Nix, and we'll see how healthy he is. Of course, he went back into the game late uh, last week, uh, you know, if he can hang out, uh, hang in the game, and, and they can corral him somewhat. And they've gone up against these running quarterbacks. Utah went up against UCLA and DTR. And of course, Anthony Richardson, the first game of the season uh, versus Florida, and, and didn't fare too well in either of those ball games. And now they get a, a third try with Bo Nix. So uh, I think they can keep Bo Nix on the sideline if they can generate a run game. So I'm going to take the Utes. I'm going to say uh, uh, Oregon loses two in a row. Uh, that'd be pretty crazy. Two in a row at home does not happen all that often. BJ, I'm going to spare you the uh, A&M UMass analysis. <laughs> UMass Would you please? Thank you. <laughs> this year. A&M trying to snap a six-game losing streak, despite the fact that they are officially out of bowl contention for the mm-hmm. rest of this season. Instead, I will ask you, can the Texas Longhorns avoid an official losing streak to the Kansas Jayhawks? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they lost last year's game here in Austin. Can they avoid the L2 mark with the Jayhawks this weekend up in Lawrence? Well, if they respect them. Uh, you don't have to like your opponents, but you better damn well respect them. And they should have Kansas's uh, respect, or Kansas should have their respect, considering what they've done, what, the last two out of four years, uh, whatever it is. Uh, so this is a different Kansas team. Uh, they're going to be fighting hard, protect their home field, and – they're not scared of Texas. No one's scared of Texas. So 
they can win this ball game, but they they better be done with TCU and understand that go win this one. You still may have an outside shot to get to the Big 12 championship game. You know, who, who knows what's going to happen in Morgantown? West Virginia is a different football team there. Uh, just beating Oklahoma, which isn't saying a lot this year, but they play different uh, when, when you're up there. And, and they beat Baylor there too, didn't they? I believe, or did Baylor? I think Baylor may have squeaked it out the win, but but uh, they'll they'll play tough and 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 uh, give K State a fight. I believe that was impressive what K State did last week there in Waco, uh, where they bounced back. So Texas has to take a page out of that book and say, okay, uh, we didn't get what we wanted last week, but we definitely have to show better on the road. He is Brian Jones. Check him out this weekend on CBS pregame, halftime, and postgame of that Georgia-Kentucky matchup. And watch and hear him every week on this show during football season. Of course, it releases on Wednesday afternoons. BJ, thank you as always for the time, my friend. Have a great rest of the week. You got it, buddy. Appreciate you. Hook him. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Move on now from Brian Jones to one of my favorite people to read and speak with from Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com. It is Eric Nalin joining me for the first time on Trade Chats. Eric, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I missed that enthusiasm that I was so used to uh, dealing with on the radio. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I know it was a running joke uh, on the radio side of things. And whenever I would turn to you, it tended to be because uh, things weren't great for the Texas football program. But here we are once again, a disappointing loss to TCU where the offense was completely absent. But I was thinking about this today. And one of the reasons why I love turning to you in situations like this is because you are an incredibly savvy, critical thinker. And uh, I'm sure that spans all avenues of life, but it's certainly existent when you're talking about Texas football. And you wrote an article on Sunday that I think is very on point with regards to why the offense has not been better throughout the course of games, obviously more specifically in the second half and why they failed so miserably against TCU on Saturday. The title of this article is Sark the head coach versus Sark the coordinator. And you state in this article that Steve Sarkeesian is maybe a little bit better as a head coach than we realized when he took this job, but not quite as good as an OC. That's mm-hmm. a shocking idea for me. But why do you see that to be the case? Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think things are all that bad. So this is not nearly as bad as some of the other phone calls that we've had where, uh, you know, somebody's about to get fired. Uh, usually somebody's about to get fired when we start talking or the, you know, recruiting's tanking or something. So this is actually I'm. I feel like Texas is in a good place. I'm going to write a high-level piece next week about where I think the program is. Uh, there's a lot of stability in place, even though it looks like maybe there isn't uh, just from, you know, watching the offense the last few weeks. But, um, yeah, I think you have to comp- compartmentalize Sark as a head coach and, and Sark as the offensive coordinator. And I think he is a better head coach uh, than maybe his record is indicating right now. Um, you know, the team is uh, developed across the board a lot better. Um, you know, look at uh, the, the program mindset, the culture. They play very hard. Uh, they show up with good game plans, typically week, week in, week out. I think he is struggling where, more where uh, the, the job overlaps with being an offensive coordinator. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with um, he's being, you know, stubborn is maybe not the right word. Rigid might not be the right word either. But somewhere in that ballpark, 
Uh, he's being stubborn and rigid to what what works so well from the past, but isn't quite ready or, or in place to work with at Texas. And you know that stems from uh, the you know lack of development so far on the offensive line. They're still young, and and obviously lack of development at quarterback. And I would, that that extends to wide receiver too. So I think he's a year away from where he needs to be offensively. But I also think there's probably things that he could be doing better as an offensive coordinator. Again, I like what he's done as a, as a head coach, but you know I, I think it's you know you got to separate the two jobs to to critique him. Did it surprise you to see him really give up on the rushing attack in the second half versus TCU? I know Bijan Robinson hadn't really gotten anything going, nor, nor had Roshan Johnson. But the fact that those two guys only combined for six carries in the second half was very troubling for me. Yeah, you know, I man, I kind of understand that because they were actually starting to throw the ball better out of 11 personnel and, and getting Jordan Whittington involved. So I kind of get it. Where I don't understand is why they weren't using them as pass catchers. You know, only three guys caught a ball uh, in the game. None of them were a running back. Uh, and so I think he, he probably could open up, uh, you know, gone empty with his personnel more often and got those guys involved in the passing attack. I expected to see a lot more uh, flexibility uh, with the, the scheme and, uh, you know, diversifying the personnel packages and going empty more often than not. You know, if, if the field is condensed, you've got to spread them out. One way to do that is to get your dangerous uh, pass guys. Just because they're not wide receivers doesn't mean they're not going to command attention. Uh, in fact, we saw B. John uh, Robinson uh, streaking right down the field uh, as man fell down in man coverage and, uh, you know, Quinn, Quinn didn't see it. But uh, I think that he needs to open things up a little bit more. You talked about um, not, you know, Quinn not getting in the rhythm. Uh, well, you know, the, the, the quarterback needs a play caller to get in the rhythm, too. Uh, and so I think I think that's been part of the problem. But, you know, to me, you got to get Whittington involved every week. And I think you need to go 11, more 11 personnel. And, you know, I've kind of been saying that throughout the season. Yeah, and speaking of Quinn Ewers, we've seen erratic play out of him more often than not for going on a month now, really ever since that Oklahoma game, which feels like it was five years ago at this point. Quinn Ewers has had a hard time hitting his receivers consistently with those intermediate routes and then also downfield as well. You could say that the Kansas State game was the aberration there, and it certainly was. His numbers were better versus Iowa State, Oklahoma State, or TCU this last weekend. But that was also getting to throw the ball based on what Bijan Robinson was doing and gouging that defense. That obviously makes any quarterback's job much easier. How surprised were you that Steve Sarkeesian didn't give Hudson Card at least a series or two in the second half on Saturday? And is that something you would have done had uh, you been given the decision? Well, I'm I'm not necessarily surprised by it, uh, but that doesn't mean I agree with it. Um, you know, I, I I think you have to where you know where Quinn is breaking down is, is mechanically a lot of times, and you know that's where you're seeing a lot of the inconsistency. He's trying to get it done with his arm, and he's not setting a solid base and stepping into his throws. Um, I, I don't think he's feeling the pocket pressure right. I think sometimes he's rushing throws. He has he has another uh, tick or two to go before he has to really let go of it. Um, so I would have, you know, I think it's uh, for some reason within this this really odd fan base, it's a controversial thing to say that you should bench the quarterback and, and put somebody else in, uh, try to give somebody else a, a, a chance to see if they have the hot hand. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's a forever decision. It could change. It could go right back to normal on Monday. But I would have obviously I would have done it in uh, Oklahoma State game and I would have done it for uh, uh, for TCU. And honestly, I would have a real quarterback competition going into Kansas just based on what what we've seen him saying that it's unfair to uh, uh, unfair to Hudson Carr to put him in late. That's uh you know, maybe that's the head coach speaking. Maybe that's the offensive coordinator speaking. I don't know which one it is. But, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, he's got to win these games. Developing in-game is a side benefit after the win. It's not something that you you go to. It's not the goal of the game. Uh, and I think he has been uh, – the leash for, for years has been too long in my estimation. Well, it bothers me also to hear Texas fans, Eric, talk about how if you bench the guy, it could potentially ruin his development. Like, he's yeah. a young quarterback. He's obviously going to – 
take his lumps here and there. And this is an extended stretch where he hasn't played all that well. But if a guy is going to be ruined early in his career by getting benched, he probably, and this is generally speaking, I'm not saying this about Quinn Ewers. I still expect him to do great things at Texas. He probably doesn't have the mental acumen to get the job done at this level anyhow. Well, I mean, you can you can argue that the other way, too. Like, what's worse for your confidence, you know, getting benched or, you know, going, you know, over your next 10 after you're already having a really rough day? I would say it's the latter, you know. So, obviously, the whatever supposed benefit there might have been from playing him through that Oklahoma State debacle uh, hasn't come through in the recent weeks. You know, maybe something clicks in the offseason, but it would have clicked anyway. So, you know, I don't, I don't really uh, agree with that. You see you see quarterbacks come in off the bench and relieve the starter and, and, and lead their team to wins quite frequently. Uh, it even happened again this past weekend. So, uh, that one doesn't hold water to me. You know, um, I think the problem is Quinn needs another year of development, of real development. He's going to have to put in the grind time to do it, and it's going to have to start with his feet and uh, get his body in sync so he can he can throw on platform. We know he can all do, make all these ridiculous throws off platform, but that's not a consistent way to play football. On the flip side, the defensive performance against the Horned Frogs was really nice to see. Best defensive performance for this program in a long time. Maybe going back to that Georgia game and the Sugar Bowl a few years ago during the Tom Herman era. Just how encouraging is it to see things really starting to click for uh, Pete Kwiatkowski's defense as we uh, get towards the end of the second half of this 2022 season? Yeah, well, first, you know, if I'm going to critique uh, Sark, the coordinator, I've got to go back and give him some credit for, you know, a lot of people were saying he should have made a change after the first year. And, and you know, he stuck to his guns and believed in what they're doing. And so I think Sark, Sark deserves some of that credit. Um, and obviously that team is playing fast and, and more physical on defense. They've been that way the whole time. They haven't always played perfectly, but they've played with a lot of intent. Um, that goes back to the very first game against uh, ULM. Um, you know, they've had a couple issues on uh, third downs that, that were exploited and that, you know, let the team down a few times. But uh, that was the best defense we've seen in a, in a very long time. And, you know, I kind of throw out that Georgia game. I knew that they were going to beat Georgia, or at least I felt strongly about it, just because the Georgia offense set up so well for what Orlando did. I go back to 2017 when Mason Rudolph was lighting it up for uh, for Oklahoma State, and then they won 13-10, uh, to 10, I think was the final score. Uh, just a, you know, phenomenal defensive por- uh, performance. And, again, you know, the offense had stro- uh, str- its own struggles with the young quarterback. I think that was Ellinger's first uh, freshman year. Uh, yeah, that was, I, the, uh, that, that was the J- the James Washington Justice Hill Oklahoma State team, too. Yeah, you're right. That was yeah. a really good performance. Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, I, I think that Kwiatkowski is uh, is developing these guys. You know, you look at each player across the board, they're, they're better than they were a year ago. That's credit to their position coaches, but they're playing way more cohesively than, than they did last year. And so, you know, I, I'm excited. You know, I think that he could always play more aggressive, and I think that he definitely had uh, some help this past week with, uh, you know, Gary Patterson's familiarity of that TCU that TCU roster. Uh, but that was a microcosm of how much that they have improved this season, even though it doesn't always appear that way. Uh, you know, I know fans uh, – there's some fans that are still uh, lukewarm on him. Um, and, you know, I don't know – I don't know how much he was supposed to improve uh, year over year. But, you know, they're going to they're gonna have some losses on defense, but they've also had a lot of guys step, step up. And there's some foundational pieces on defense to build, build upon. Uh, you know, you got to be excited in, in at least the direction. Yeah, obviously the secondary is still trying to build up that depth, but for the defensive front to now be getting the pressure on the quarterback they have the last couple of games, I mean, that was maybe the missing piece for that front three slash the linebacker and edge position as well. But they've done a great job of uh, making sure things were uncomfortable for quarterbacks going back to Kansas State. Obviously, Max Duggan last weekend, who right now is probably your offensive player of the year in the Big 12, and hopefully that continues with Kansas and Baylor over these next couple of games. Yeah, Kansas is going to be interesting. Um, you know, it, it, we still don't know who their quarterback is. Uh, it could be Jalen Daniels. It could be uh, Jason Bean. Um, you know, they each present different uh, 
different problems. Both can run it. Uh, obviously, Jalen can run it a lot better. Uh, and, you know, that that is going to be the ultimate test for me, not from whether or not they win. Everybody expects them to win because they have the better – on paper, they have the better personnel. Um, you know, they, they just have the more physical, uh, more athletic uh, personnel units. Uh, but, but you know, the way that, that Leipold beats you is he, he gets you uh, he gets you making mental mistakes and he gets you chasing things you shouldn't be chasing. So, you know, they've showed much better uh, football IQ this season, but but it's going to get a pretty good test on in that regard. I, and then I think Baylor offensively, I set, think I set, set, sets up pretty straightforward for them. I'm not as worried about them offensively. That, then, now we're back to talking about what, what Aranda's going to do. He's going to take all this embedded knowledge that he's, he's earned from watching all the tape, you know, that I think people's really started to notice that uh, against Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Kansas State, uh, TCU, and Aranda's or- or- going to have a pretty good idea of what they, what they, what Texas can't do um, if, if Sark doesn't start changing things up pretty soon. Yeah, both defenses should probably sell out to stop the run. Yep. They're probably going to hedge right on those Texas runs to the right because they love running right more than they do the left, and you're going to dare Quinn Ewers to beat you down the field because he's been uh, incapable to, uh, to be able to do that over the last month now. Yeah. Yeah. Sark says, you know, we got to go through to our first progression and, and if it's there, throw it. Well, you know, they want it to be there. You know, they're, they're not using all their manpower to let it be there because you're not proving that you can hit it. It's like, it's like fouling Shaq in his prime. You know, it's, you'd rather give up the, uh, you know, send him to the line than give up an automatic two points. You know, that right now they're treating him like Shaq. So as we speak on uh, this Wednesday afternoon, it's uh, just after 2.15 on Wednesday. Uh, where are you leaning with regards to Texas-Kansas? Who wins that game? Uh, <laughs> man, I think it's going to be close. You know, I, you know, I'm throwing out what Vegas is saying about Texas week in and week out, basically, because, you know, Texas has those road woes that are still hard to explain. Um, you know, they didn't uh, necessarily exercise the demons in Manhattan like you would have thought. They got the win, of course, but really, you know, that first half, second half split offensively was uh, very reminiscent of what we've seen. Um, I, I think Texas is going to win. Uh, I think they're going to be able to run the ball. Uh, I think it goes back to more like K-State where yeah, it's going to make the passing game a lot easier because they will be able to run it. Now, if, if, if Kansas State uh, puts a nine in the box and Steve Sarkeesian has no answers for it and they cut, throw it over the top and, and Worthy has four catches on, on 12 targets – then Sark, the head coach, is really, really, really uh, doing a worse job than I'm than I'm talking about here. All right, last question, Eric. We're going to end where we started. Do you think Steve Sarkeesian, the coordinator, is as good as Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach, this time next year? Um, maybe so. Maybe so. You know, he you know he wants to run pretty straightforward. It requires you know elite elite talent, manpower, which he's he's going to have. It, it just needs to develop. So develop, be developed. So I don't know how fast it's, they're going to kind of reach that point. Um, and then you know, obviously, they need an infusion at wide receiver, uh, and then the quarterback has to develop. So you know, I it, is is Steve Sarkeesian the quarterback whisperer he's made to believe? Well, you know, I don't know that yet. Um, I need to see. You know, we we need to see Quinn make a lot of strides uh, mechanically to to really get to that point. Um, uh, you know, I still believe in Sark, so you know, I guess that kind of answers the question to a degree. But um, it's it's a little bit frustrating for me to realize that he has to have everything kind of perfect to really uh, take off. When I see a lot of guys um, use chicken wire to put things together, you know, um, you know what what Leipold's doing uh, over there with a, you know using a lot of motion and and uh, you know a lot of creativity. Uh, Sark could be uh, implementing some of that in the meantime. You know, go back to what Bryce, Brian Harson did it with that. Uh, I think it was the 2012 offense that was just had no quarterback. I think Jackson Shipley was tied on the team with passing touchdowns at like four or something ridiculous. Uh, that guy sitting on the uh, 
that guy's sitting on the waiver wire right now. I think Sark should go give him a call like he did Gary Patterson. Well, that'd be an interesting name to bring back to Austin. By the way, part of that is on Quinn Ewers as well. Obviously, Sark can yeah. do uh, whatever in his power to try and develop Quinn. Quinn has to want to put the work in. Absolutely. To- that, that's he a good is- point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He is Eric Nalene. Check him out, InsideTexas.com, and, of course, all over the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Eric, thank you, as always, for the time. Look forward to the next uh, chance we have to chat. Appreciate it, Trey. Another episode is in the books. Thanks again to Brian Jones and Eric Nalene for hopping on to talk some Longhorn football. And thanks to you for checking out Trey's chats. I am Trey Elling. We'll talk to you next time. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the week and hook them.